Welcome to the Rob Seco Field Ready Podcast with your host, Jim Robinson. Hello, and welcome back to the Rob Seco Field Ready Podcast. I'm your host, Jim Robinson. In today's episode, we're going to be addressing the question of why do farmers do business with independent seed companies? And today to discuss that with us, we have Todd Martin. And Todd, I'll let you go ahead and introduce yourself. Hey, Jim. Uh, thanks for uh, inviting me on the podcast. Uh, I am Todd Martin. I'm the CEO of the Independent Professional Seed Association. Uh, we, as, as the name implies, we are an association of about 110 independently owned seed companies, predominantly focused in the corn and soybean area in 25 states and uh, also in Canada and Mexico. Excellent. Now, what does the uh, what does IPSA being the the shortened version? What does IPSA do for independent seed companies? Just to give a little more background on on what you do. Well, we promote um, you know the independent seed companies themselves as businesses and uh, do everything that we can to come up with new services and new plans that might be able to help them uh, as a small business and as a seed business both. We are governed by a nine-member board of directors that works with me. We meet uh, annually with all of our very large uh, suppliers, that being Bayer, Syngenta, Corteva, uh, BASF, among others, that have immediate impact to all the independent corn and soybean dealers and seed companies. Uh, Additionally, we work... uh, We have a very large annual meeting. We work on um, a continuing training around sales, marketing management, business development, um, industry issues in in Washington. So we have a whole host of things that we work on specifically that affect the independent seed companies. Absolutely. IPSA has been a great resource for independent seed companies over the, well, at least the number of years that I've been uh, in the seed industry, which hasn't been terribly long. <laughs> so, well, well, IPSA was actually uh, founded in 1989, so we're just a little over 30 years old. Uh, so we don't have the depth of uh, the American Seed Trade Association, actually, that's been around for about 100 years. Um, but, uh, you know, again, it's the singular focus on the independence in thinking about what happens with, you know, smaller businesses and independently owned businesses that kind of sets us apart. Um, obviously, the American Seed Trade Association is a very integral part of our uh, influence in Washington. The work they do is just unbelievable during this entire COVID issue that we've had going on for the last several months. We've been working hand in hand with them to make sure that nothing happens from states and interstate commerce with the Department of Transportation um, or anything else in Washington that could affect planting so that we're free to be able to move seed, you know, in between warehouses and seed companies, seed companies and farmers and you know, we're not going to hit any uh, barriers as we have to deal with this coronavirus issue. So, you know, there's the American Seed Trade, very large, older organization, and then IPSA that has just an absolute singular focus on the independents. Absolutely. Absolutely. So with your specialization in working with the independents, can you tell us a little bit about the history of how independent seed companies and farmers have worked together and then what that has evolved to up until about you know, this point within the last decade or so? Well, it's really interesting. I mean, if we if we roll back and look at about 30 years ago, um, there were about 300 independent seed companies focusing in corn and soybeans within the United States. A huge number. And as I said today, we're about 110. Probably in totality, we're looking at a number in that 130 range that is total. So a dramatic reduction. Uh, 
And people are going to say, well, what's that all about? When we look at, say, 1989 and mid-80s, of course, there was no biotechnology that came into play. Uh, you know, it was all about corn and soybean genetics. And so there were a lot of independent breeders, a lot of products that were out there. But as biotechnology came into play, especially, you know, in the mid-90s, and there was such a consolidation that came in uh, the industry, and then we saw licensing come into play and bringing benefits to, you know, farmers through uh, BT corn, through Roundup Ready soybeans initially. We saw a consolidation in the entire marketplace that has brought us to where we are today of about 110 independent, 130 independent in totality um, corn and soybean dealers across the country. So was a big, a big piece of the market. It has consolidated down, but even today, the independent section of the market is about 22% of all the corn and soybean that is sold in the U.S., and that is an enormous uh, block for all the independent seed companies and shows why they're important. Still control, you know, just over a fifth of the uh, corn and soybean market from a marketing and sales perspective. Absolutely. And we've been seeing that proportion of the independent seed companies representing the market increase from about 2006 or so on, where 2005, 2006 was kind of the peak and end of, of the most recent consolidation of, of uh, independent seed companies into the larger companies. But since that period, we've independent seed companies have grown from 10, 12% back up to about 22, uh, which has been really interesting to see happen. It, it really is an interesting piece because there was a very large um, section, but it was still about 25, between 25 and 30 uh, percent in, you know, pre-2006. And during that time, there was a uh, strategy executed through uh, Bayer, then Monsanto, uh, to acquire a large number of uh, seed companies. And after that, we saw Syngenta also buy um, some seed companies, obviously. Uh, uh, and it, at that point, and J.C. Robinson mm-hmm. being one of those yep. um, at that time. And then uh, Dow also bought, uh, bought some seed companies. And then in 2010, we saw... Uh, Pioneer, Corteva, Pioneer, uh, previous to that, acquire some seed companies as well. So there was a consolidation that really happened from about 2004 to 2010 that brought the market share down substantially to the independent sector. But interestingly, since then, that market share has expanded again. And it tells me one thing that's very important. Mm -hmm. Farmers appreciate the buying experience that they get from an independent. There are, there is currently a group of farmers that represent, you know, more than a fifth of the market that will choose to buy from an independent rather than buying from a big multinational and a, and a multinational is not able to replicate that experience. And I think we've seen that happen and in, in tried, uh, you know, both at, uh, at Bayer previously at uh, Syngenta and at uh, Corteva under, you know, their previous, uh, company names. Mm-hmm. We've seen that attempted, but there's continually this segment that is going to choose to buy from an independent seed company. And that shows me the importance of having those companies in the marketplace. Now, what are the benefits that a, a farmer may get from buying from an independent seed company that, you know, what does an independent seed company do to create that buying experience that the farmer really appreciates? 
You know, it's it's interesting, Jim, because I'll tell you, I get asked that question a lot. And I see it in somewhat of my own experiences. You know, you just go through everyday life. I would tell you the first thing is customer service. At the end of the day, everybody tries to focus on customer service. And this is not a knock on the, on the large companies about their customer service is not up to par. Not at all. But there is something about being able to call the owner of the seed company when you've got a problem and talk to him directly and know that it's his business, it's his name on the bag, it's his name on the door, and by gosh, he's going to get something done about that. And it's the pride of that independent ownership and that independent owner in every single case that I see the customer service go the extra mile, whether it's the people in the office, whether it's you know the sales reps in the field, they are going to go the extra mile because that name and that brand means something special to those people. In that customer service experience of being able to pick up the phone, get to the owner of the company if you need to, by God, fussing, heck, this seed treatment's not right for me, This something's wrong with the bag or whatever it is, those things make a difference and they get handled and, uh, you know, it, it makes a difference for some people. I, I often laugh a bit, Jim, because I mean, I think for, for those of us in the market that use a company like direct TV for, you know, TV viewing or use uh, AT&T, uh, mm-hmm. as a, you know, cell phone provider, you know, the nightmare for me is having most of the time the service is great and I love it and it's fine and I use their service, but it's a nightmare when I have to go and have something wrong and call. Yep. When I dial that 800 number and I get the automated response, it sounds like a dude in the background clicking on, you know, typewriter keys. And I'm like, Oh, come on. And you just want one little thing fixed and it's difficult to do it. And you can't get to the same person again, or you get transferred. That doesn't happen when you have a problem with an independent seed company. So it's about, customer service, they understand customer service in, in America today where customer service seems to be going by the wayside towards automation. You don't get that in an independent seed company. You get the real thing. Absolutely. Being able to access within the company at all levels, as well as getting that response that, that a grower may need in terms of correcting an issue that a grower may see, whether it be in packaging, product selection, whatever that may be, certainly makes a, a huge difference. Do you see well, and, and, and we look at Rob Seco specifically, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, that name has meaning. It has meaning to you. It has meaning to your dad. It has meaning to the people that work for you, the, the other managers. I mean, Absolutely. that name has meaning. And so when it's back on that bag of seed, there's a lot, a lot of pride in that and a lot of ownership all the way down through the organization. I know that's true. No, for sure. We we definitely take pride in what we do and we want uh, our customers to see that from us as well. Yes. So do you think with the vast majority of, of independent seed companies tend to be more regionally focused? You know, they, they may reside in a particular area, whether it be in the north, uh, the northern Corn Belt, the western Corn Belt, the eastern Corn Belt, wherever it may be. Uh, do you see independent uh, seed companies being able to better represent those geographies from product selection and understanding standpoint? I think there's a lot more focus in the geographies that they come in to find the absolute products that fit specific areas more. And I think that, you know, again, when you're looking at trying to run a national brand and you're looking across the big areas, you want to have a hybrid, for instance, that is going to go across 
the most acres possibly to manage your SKUs. Mm-hmm. At an independent seed company that's focused on that geography, it becomes much more important to manage a smaller smaller area where you can get the absolute best product. So you can see some substantial differences in between the national brands and someone that's managing on a more regional geographic basis. Absolutely. And that regional focus, at least in, in our belief, uh, can make up for a lot of the difference in resources that a, a multinational company may have versus an independent seed company. You know, multinational is going to have a much larger budget, much greater degree of resources, but that regional focus does help that independent seed company be uh, extremely competitive and not have a competitive advantage in, in those geographies. And that's a great way to put it, because when you look at the independent seed companies, I mean, what's their winning philosophy wherever it is, whether it's, you know, looking at the product selection, whether it's looking at the customer service, it's about the focus, the focus on that farmer. Mm-hmm. You know, they've got that customer. They don't have the opportunity to go two states over to find another customer when things go wrong. They're going to make their living off that area, which means they need to be in good graces at all times. So they're going to go the extra mile. It's that focus. Absolutely. So over all the decades, you know, from the start of hybrid corn up through today, uh, farming has evolved. It's, it's always been innovative. It's, it's always undergone some sort of change. Right now we're seeing consolidation in the size of farms, uh, consolidation in the number of seed companies. What do you view as the, the future of independent seed companies? We, we've seen the growth of independent seed company market share, uh, even through the different consolidations that have, the industry's undergone. What do you see the next 10 years uh, bringing for independent seed companies? Well, you know, that's a really good question. And we've done a lot of work uh, trying to look into the crystal ball, which uh, my crystal ball, Jim, I'm going to tell you, is always cracked and cloudy. So it <laughs> never gives me the right answer. Um, if it had, I would have sold a lot, you know, a lot of stock a lot, you know, a couple of months ago and I didn't do it. So you know, <laughs> I've got no good crystal ball here. Um, but <clears throat> we sat down uh, as an IPSA group back in October and, uh, pulled in about 20 independent seed companies and tried to get a view of what they're thinking and, you know, and then kind of talk about all the different issues that are impacting the seed industry and, and get a good view. And I think that we all understand that over the next five years in particular, there are going to be some winners and losers. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of entries in the marketplace right now. There's low cost entries coming in that are going on, uh, XPVP genetics or mm-hmm. off patent genetics. Um, and they're coming in with an offer on farmers right now that farmers are looking at because commodity prices are low and it's, uh, you know, that type of time to yeah. be able to look at a return on investment rather than just higher yields all the time. Good placement. So there's mm-hmm. entries coming from that standpoint. There's new technologies from gene editing that are, you know, putting out the promise of we're going to increase yield substantially over the standard by going through these new breeding techniques. And mm-hmm. one thing that's very uh, pointed is today, if you look into the portfolios of the large companies that have brought the genetic, uh, genetically modified traits on the market, 
those portfolios are relatively stagnant. There's not new products that are really coming out. Soybean has seen some new herbicide jumps that have been very impressive Mm -hmm. um, on the Extend, and I know Extend Flex is coming, and of course the Enlist E3 that is debuting in the marketplace today. But when you look at corn, that's not the case. So when you combine that you've got traits that are somewhat stagnant and they're coming off patent, you've got genetics that are still, even though they're maybe 20 year old genetics are the grandfathers of the products that we're selling today. There's a real opportune time to see some companies build a new breeding program, look at some opportunities to do some things that have not been done in the past. You've got the, uh, gene editing that's coming in, the innovative breeding techniques. I think that we may be on a cusp of seeing breeding programs expand again. Mm -hmm. I certainly believe that there is a demand in the marketplace for more than just a number two yellow corn at this juncture. You have consumers that are looking at non-GMO. You have consumers that are looking at organics in addition to those and consumers are starting to look at specific uh, traceability through. So I think that the independent seed companies that can find a particular place in the market that they can accomplish their uh, margin objectives in a smart way and adjust their business. I think those are going to be the ones that are going to survive and thrive through the next decade because the marketplace is changing and uh, there's a lot more demand for the entire, you know, food to feed type infrastructure from beginning to end Mm -hmm. and where we can move into that place and really look at some unique uh, spots. I think there's a lot of opportunity for independent seed companies. One of the things that I've noticed over and over again, independent seed companies are nimble. You know, they don't they don't have this thing of we're headed one direction and we can't turn because we've got too much money invested in this direction. So when you look at independent seed companies, one of the things that I like to use to describe them is they're speedboats among battleships. So you've got all these huge companies that are out there and yet the independents can continue to grow because they're fast. They can make changes as they need. They can adapt to the marketplace faster than anybody else out there. So speedboats among battleships. I, I love that analogy of speedboats among ma- battleships. Basically what we've gone through today is is that seed companies used to represent, a va- uh, there used to be a massive number of seed companies in the industry representing a large percent of the market. As the advent of GMO uh, corn and soybean came on board, uh, we started to see a consolidation of those seed companies from being over 300 to uh, now right around uh, 130 or so. But even with all that consolidation, we've seen the growth of the independent seed companies come back and represent just over a fifth of the total market as it continues to grow. And the future of the seed companies appears as though it may be within certain markets that can't be well uh, served by some of the larger uh, multinational seed companies. You know, the growers really love doing business with independent seed companies before the uh, the service and the access to all levels of the company, as well as uh, the specific focus on specific geographies uh, as far as product selection and understanding those environments go. Is there anything else you'd like to add before we close? No, I think you've pretty well summed it up very well. I think the thing that I would tell you is, you know, the independent seed market, uh, independent seed companies in their marketplace is like every place else. It's always uh, changing and a lot of movement has happened. I mean, I'm astounded at 
what has changed in the last five years and makes me realize that the change in the next five years could be seismic for the industry. Mm-hmm. But I continue to watch this group of individuals that own these companies and look in this marketplace. I continue to see them adapt, be resilient, and uh, I think they've got a good future in front of them. They're speedboats among battleships. There you go. Thank you so much for joining us today. As always, be sure to tune in on the 1st and 15th of every month. And until next time, stay field ready. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Rob Seco Field Ready Podcast. Join us next time to be field ready. A Parkville Media Production.